for the rest of the summer, we're going to be talking through um, basically the words of Jesus. And what kind of struck in my heart was we need Jesus to become more real to us than the life we live. Like we need to know that he is more real and he is more, more tangible than the struggles we're walking through from the places that we don't know. And I'm believing this summer for my heart and your heart to come alive again to the love of Jesus in a huge way. And so um, with that, grab your Bible and go to Matthew chapter 5. Title of today's message is How to Bless God. And uh, John Krause, could you come up here for a sec? And I'm going to ask John if you could read Matthew 5, um, verse 1 through 12. And before I have John read that, I wanted to read a verse from Matthew 7, 28. Get this. Jesus speaks, and we're going to go through this for the next couple weeks. Jesus speaks for two chapters, all sorts of amazing things. And at the very end of this whole thing that he says, it says this. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching like one who had authority, not like the scribes. They sat in silence. They were in silence at Jesus because the way he talked was different. There was a quality so much more powerful than all the smarties. All the smart guys, those smarties. He was way better than all the smarties. And there was something of conviction and power that struck his heart. And that's what I'm believing for us in this next spot. So, John, can you take us away? Yes. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed is the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are, blessed are you when others revile and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they presented the prophets who were before you. Amen. Amen. Persecute. Awesome. My glasses. <laughs> Well, anyway, yeah, good word. Um, yeah, so today's, today's message is how to bless God. Let me pray, and then we'll, we'll jump in. God, we, we want to bless you. We want to be a blessing to you. We pray that our, our worship to you this morning was a blessing to your heart. We pray that our hearts coming to you today would be a blessing to your heart, God. And we pray, Lord, as we posture our heart to step into what you're doing. God, I pray that we wouldn't just read the word or hear the word, but the word would read us that we would hear from you, God, that there would be something of an exchange between us and heaven today. And that we pray that, God, with all our faith, all our heart, and we just simply say, speak, Lord, your servants are listening. And everyone said, amen. amen. Well, happy Independence Day. Freedom ain't free. Yeah, religious freedom. And how many know, too, freedom isn't the goal? But we have a freedom so that it can be unto something. Um, 
Freedom opens the way for our yes or our no. Freedom makes us available and it makes it possible for us to make powerful decisions, decisions that can bring life or death. We were made for freedom, but man, may we be wise in how we use our freedom. Amen? Happy Independence Day. Um, so today, we're going to talk through Matthew chapter 5, and I'm believing God to do a, a beautiful work in our hearts. So verse 3 said this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What is it to be poor in spirit? The spirit, the being poor in spirit is being humble. The humble see themselves, being humble, one that sees themselves as insignificant, one that sees themselves as at need, someone that sees themselves like, oh my goodness, I am not a source unto myself. I need help. I love this passage from Luke 18. It says this, Jesus told a parable about those who trusted in themselves and that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Ever met someone like that? Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and one a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, exhorters, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector over there. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I have. But the tax collector standing afar off would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but he beat his chest saying, God, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the first one. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those that say, I don't got it all together. I need help. Second one was, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The context of this is, yes, God wants to comfort those that walk in mourning. I, I, I love what I heard once, that you, when someone passes away, you lose, lose a loved one. There's a space. It's almost like the more you grow in relationship with someone, it's like a balloon getting blown up in your heart. And it gets bigger and bigger the more that person takes up room in your life. And they're filling up a spot in your heart. And one day that relationship ends. Pop. And now all you have is this empty space. God desires to be the one to fill that empty space. No one can fill that space that that person grew up to except God himself. And it says here, blessed are those who mourn for those they shall be comforted. But the context of this is not just comfort for the sake of grieving or losing a someone, but blessed are those that mourn that they, have, they can see the brokenness, they can see the sin in their life, they can see the places where they don't measure up. Blessed are those that say, oh my goodness, I need God, for they will be comforted, just like that tax collector. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meekness is strength restrained. They even talk about when you take a horse and it's broken, they say that you have meeked a horse. So a horse that is bridled in, that's ready, you can move it any way you want, it's ready for battle, is considered a meeked horse. Blessed are the meek or the ones with their strength has been restrained. They shall inherit the earth. That fits with this passage. Get this. This is from Proverbs. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. 
He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. That's meekness, stillness, commitment, trust, waiting. And it says this, in a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at their place, they won't be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and dwell, delight, delight themselves in the abundance of peace. I know that when I rush in with my own strength, my own energy, that I just go in full bore with my strength, that's not meekness. And I am, when, I, when I put forth my energy, it has to be Jeremy that makes it happen. But when I go in a trust and a commitment to what he's saying, in meekness, his strength goes with me into it. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Amplified says this, blessed are those who actively seek right standing with God, for they will be completely satisfied. Get out of town. Blessed are those who are actively seeking to be right with God. They're going to be satisfied. Think about that. Blessed are the, are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Oh man, God loves to give mercy. I heard someone say once, how much mercy would you like to receive? That's how much mercy you should give. When we give mercy, we're connecting with the heart of God. We're seeing people as God sees them. Mercy is directly related to my heart posture towards people. I remember a little while ago, I heard this counselor lady, she was talking her, her husband, and I might have told the story before, but her husband and her and this other couple started a small group together, the four of them. And through the process of time, her husband cheated on her with the wife of the, the other husband or the other person. And the marriages, both of them got blown up. So she's walking through this whole space of brokenness, distrust, like where is God, anger, frustration. And a couple years later, she's at Safeway in Linden. So she's at Safeway in Linden, and she sees this lady in her car driving into Safeway. And she, she's, you know, all this emotion pops up in her heart. She's having a hard time. And in her mind's eye, she sees Jesus sitting in the passenger seat of that lady's car with a big grin on his face. You know her first reaction? She's ticked. Jesus, what are you doing in her car? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Jesus said, the Lord said to her heart that moment and said, I died for her too. When my heart is in offense, I can't receive the goodness of God. And the reality is all of us have failed and fallen. And if we can see how much God wants to give us mercy and how much mercy we need, it's easier for us to extend mercy to someone else. Why? Because we realize there's no difference. We're both fallen. And when we receive forgiveness, we also receive God's healing in that very space where we are wounded. Blessed are the merciful. They will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall receive, or sorry, they shall see God. Another way of saying that is blessed are the, more, are the pure in heart, those with integrity, moral courage, godly character, for they shall see God. 
If you had, maybe you're not married here today and you got some cute girl that you're interested in, or maybe you got some famous person. Just think about if there was a famous person that you were thinking of that you'd love to meet, um, who would that be? And what if we knew that in 10 minutes, they're going to walk in the room? How would you dress? How would you act? What would you do? My guess is you'd probably be dressed in your best clothes. You'd want to make a good impression. You'd have a big smile on your face. You'd, you would want them to receive you. Why? Because you really enjoy who they are. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Another way of saying is this, blessed are those who get themselves ready to connect with God. They will see God. Do you have an expectation that God wants to show up here on a Sunday morning? Do you have an expectation that God wants to meet with you in the morning as you roll out of bed and you grab a Bible and you say, God, I want to talk to you. Do you have an expectation that God wants to give you dreams at night to speak to your heart? Do you have an expectation that throughout your day that God wants to speak to you, work in your life, do different things? Blessed are the pure in heart. They're going to see God. Blessed are those with an expectation. God wants to show up in my life. He wants to do things in my world. But no expectation, you're not going to be looking for him. And you're not going to get ready. All throughout the New Testament, Paul and Peter and all these guys kept saying things like, the day of the Lord is coming soon. He's coming back quick. And the point of that was not a fearful thing. Oh no, God's coming back. But an excited thing and a, oh my goodness, we got to be about the right things. We got to get ourselves ready because God is coming. How many know you get what you're looking for? You get what you're seeking. What is your heart seeking after? Because you're going to get more of that, whatever that is. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. I like to say it this way. Blessed are those that run to pain, not from pain. It's the way of the kingdom to run to it to bring healing. Blessed are those that repair bridges, bring healing, lay hands on the sick, forgive, run towards the pain. Those are the people that when they run into those broken spaces, people go, man, there's something different about you. There's something, there's like a shine on your face. There's, there's something extra. There's like a love in your heart that I, I didn't know. God, when you run to the pain, God will meet you with his presence and you'll be marked as a person of like, man, God's, God's with them. I, I, they're like a, they're, man, they must be related. They're, God's with them. They'll be a, you'll be a son, you'll be a daughter of God. You'll be known as someone acquainted with who God is when you run to the pain. I think Bellingham needs a little more of people running to the pain. Blessed are you are those that are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Man, it's costly to stand for what's right, isn't it? <laughs> when you stand up and you say, I am going to stand, I'm not going to move. I'm going to stand right here and I'm just going to be, I'm going to stand for what God 
cares about. It's costly. People don't like it. Martin Luther King Jr., they would actually have training when they would do their marches and all this stuff. And they would actually beat each other up and do all this stuff because they knew that they weren't going to fight back, but they were going to stand. They knew they were going to go into cafes and get ridiculed and they were going to get hit and all this stuff. But they also had made a decision that they weren't going to come in the same spirit as the world. And so they would actually train each other by like, you know, hitting each other, beating each other up, calling each other names, all with the mentality of we're not going to be like them. We're going to stand separate from the world. We're going to stand. Blessed are you are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you got a Bible, this would be helpful to put in your notes right here. What is this kingdom? It says in another place in the scripture, it says that the kingdom of heaven is love, righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What is theirs? Right, right standing with God, peace in the heart, joy in the heart. That's your inheritance if you walk in the Beatitudes. In all of this, the point isn't, and I think we're so American, it's easy to go, how can I get blessed? And obviously God wants us blessed. But that is not the point really of this passage. You know what I think the point of this whole passage is? How we can bless God. This is the way of the kingdom. The humble receive right standing with God, peace and joy. Those that are broken over their sin, the weight of their sin is lifted. Those that make Jesus the leader of their life, he promises that, he will, that they will rule with him in this world. Those that are hungry for right standing with God, they're going to get it. Those that are merciful will receive mercy. Those that don't want anything in between them and God, any mixture, anything, anything to mix things up, we're going to know God personally. That's, that's pretty epic. And th those who make peace, run towards brokenness, they're going to be recognized by others. That guy, he's with God. And those that do what's right, regardless of the cost, will have a right standing with God, his peace, his joy, and they're going to know his presence. This is the kingdom, what I just said. Now, Jesus stood before these people and he said, hey, this is the new way. I don't think the Romans were saying things like, blessed are the peacemakers. I don't think that the Sanhedrin was saying, blessed is the merciful. It was a whole different flip on everything and how it goes. He was saying there is a better, there is a different way. Marcus, can you read Matthew 5, 13 and 14? Oh, you can read it there too. 13 through 16, actually. All right. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world, a city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. 
Thank you, Marcus. That was eloquent. Salt and light. When we walk out these beatitudes, we are salt and we are light. What is salt good for? Preserves things and makes things tasty. When you don't have refrigeration, they would take salt and they would put fish and meat and salt because it would make it so it wouldn't decay. It wouldn't let the decay get to it. We, as the body of Christ, are meant to be in our workplaces, in our families, in our world, those that preserve things. So when you're at work and people are being very prideful and you walk in humility, it preserves things. When people are fighting and you run towards the pain, when you help the widow, when you do different things, you come into the space of brokenness, you are preserving culture. You are making a place of preserving, holding things together. All of these things, this is how we're called to preserve culture, being salt. And then the second thing is being flavorful. It's, it's attractive to be around a person that's humble. It's attractive to be around a person that gives mercy, that wants to be right with God. It's attractive to be around a person that says, man, I don't have it all together, but I know the one that does. There's something about it when you walk around a person that has joy and peace and the spirit of God on their life. It's attractive to the world. Amen. And I've seen that. I've seen that where people that don't have that go, I, I, there's something about this I want. It's salty. But here's what's interesting. I was reading this and it says, but if salt loses its saltiness, it's good for nothing except to be trampled on. Now, I used to think that just meant it was good for nothing, but actually, that's not what it's saying. They would take salt that wasn't salt anymore, and they put it on the road when it gets cold. And what do you do? Why do you do that? So people don't slip and fall. When we lose, it says this part, and this really grabbed me. If salt has lost its taste, or in brackets, its purpose... It's good for nothing except to be thrown out on the ground. You know what salt does? It helps people keep traction. So if we as the body of Christ lose our flavor, and where does our flavor come? From abiding in a real vibrant relationship with Jesus. We're going to be known for our boundaries and our rules and our moral code. And that's good. It's good that we preach don't kill anybody and don't steal and don't cheat the IRS. That's good. It helps keep some traction in culture so that things don't fall apart. That's good. But it's not flavorful. There's no joy there. There's no peace there. There's some rules there. Anybody ever notice some rules? But it's the joy and the peace and the love of God that makes things flavorful. It's His presence on your life that makes it tasty. Amen. And that's what salt is. You are the light of the world. What does light do? It illuminates. It helps others find the way. When you walk in a way that's visible, it impacts the world around us. I was super convicted about this last week. Did you know that you're made, you are meant to be, live a visible life? That the people in your life need to hear you and see you walking out the Beatitudes? 
They need to see, not just know, but see the humility, the mercy, the joy, the heart of compassion that's on you. Why? Because it points to Jesus. It says in this passage, it says, people don't light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to the whole house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they might see your good works and give glory to your father. People are going to give glory to God the Father when they see the world being held together by his body who is serving the world. Salt preserves and gives flavor. Light illuminates and helps others find their way. So that first part is all about this is, what, this is what we're called to. The second part of the chapter, we're not going to read through all of it, but I'm just going to highlight a few things. Verse 17, Jesus says this. Don't think that I've come to abolish the law. I'm not trying to get rid of all the rules. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. There are 613 laws in the Old Testament. And all of them apply to us today. Yay. I was thinking about this. I'll explain that in a sec. I was thinking about this and I felt like trying to live according to the law is a lot like trying to swim to Hawaii. If Michael Phelps and I, the Olympic swimmer, were off the coast of California and Michael's in his nice little blue Speedo and I'm in board shorts because I'm not going to wear a Speedo. And we're stretching and we're getting ready and I encourage Mike and he encourages me and we jump into the water and we start to swim. I think I'm going to last maybe a half a mile, maybe a mile. I don't know. I really don't know. Michael Phelps is probably going to do a good three, four miles or maybe 10. I don't know. But both of us at some point are going to run out of energy and we're not going to make it Hawaii. This is the law. You have no ability to be perfect on yourself. And yet we're called to be perfect before God. Romans says this, it says, when the law was revealed to me, I died. <laughs> I realized I died. It told me not to covet. And as soon as it told me not to covet, I started coveting things. It told me not to lie and I started wanting to lie. It told me not to be jealous and now suddenly I was jealous of other people. So is the law bad? No. The law is like the doctor walking into the examination room with you and saying this, hey, Jeremy, you got cancer. And I have no way of treating you. I have no cure. But you have, this is the diagnosis. This is the law. The law is a gift that shows us our true condition of where we're at. But Jesus came to fulfill the law. So Jesus is the cure from the law. We need the law because we need to know we have a need for a savior, for a transformer, for all of that. And sometimes we forget the cost and the weight of what sin does to destroy us and the world around us. I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. In faith in Christ, it really is fulfilled. He's called us to be perfect, not in our own strength, but in his strength. Can I get a uh-huh? Can I get a uh-huh? There you go, okay. Psalms 119.9. How can a young man keep his way pure? 
by guarding it according to his word. How can we walk in a way that pleases God? How can we do this? Stay as close to him as you possibly can. Because it never was your ability. And I don't know how many times I've forgotten the fact and thought it was up to Jeremy to get it right, to do it right. No, no, no. It's up to Jeremy to stick as close to Jesus as he possibly can because he can't do it on his own. If Jesus fulfills the law, that means I'm going to stay as close to him as I can and say, help, every day. And in this, Jesus is making a contrast, this whole thing. Because the next four or five things he talks through, he says through these few different things. He, said, he talks about anger. He talks about divorce. He talks about oaths. He talks about retaliation. And he talks about loving your enemies. In the first part, he says, this is the kingdom. You're called to walk in this blessed life, which is opposite to the ways of the world. And then he says, if you do this, you're going to be salt. You're going to preserve culture. You're going to have flavor. And you're going to illuminate. You're going to help other people see. And by the way, I'm not getting rid of the law. I'm here to fulfill the law. Because the law just illuminates there's a problem. And I'm the solution. And then he says... You have heard it said out of the law. Said this, verse 21. You heard it said to those of old, you you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. We're really good in our culture about saying something's wrong if someone does something. If I was a preacher up here and you knew I was a murderer, that I hit my wife, that I cheated on my taxes, that I did all these different horrible, all these actions, we'd be like, we are so done with this guy being a pastor here. I'd be gone. But if I have anger in my heart, offense in my heart, jealousy in my heart, somehow that can be okay. Jesus' whole point in the second part of the passage is, it's not about checking the box. It's about having a heart that is different, a heart that is transformed. So when Jesus looks at us, we say, well, I'm not doing these bad things. And he says, it's not about the bad things. It's about your heart and your mind, all of you being right before me. And guess what? You can't do it. You need me. And so this is what, he, what, what is said through this passage. People say things like, I've never killed anyone. And Jesus' response was, yes, but you have hatred in your heart. I, I've never had sex with anyone outside of marriage. Yes, but in your heart, you wish that you had. I, I have the legal right to get a divorce. Well, maybe, but why is it a desire to get a divorce in your heart anyway? I swear on a stack of Bibles, my mother's grave, my wife, my kids, to let people know that I'm serious. And Jesus says, no, don't swear to tell people that you say something. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. And lastly, people say, if they hurt me, I'm going to hurt them. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And Jesus says, no, show them that there's a better way. In fact, love your enemies. That's what God does with those who hate him. Jesus' main point here was that he was showing a contrast between two hearts, a humbled, surrendered, merciful 
Jesus' leader, hungry for what is right, right standing before God's heart, and a heart that says, it doesn't matter what my heart is, as long as on the outside, I look good. Jesus is pointing at my heart and your heart this morning, and he takes his word, and his word speaks to my heart, and he says, regardless of your actions, what are your motives? What are your desires? And guess what? Sometimes, like maybe every five minutes, you look at your heart and go, oh my goodness, that motive wasn't right. That thought wasn't right. I'm not where I need to be. And Jesus is like, that's right. I'm here to transform not just your actions, but your very perspective and your heart and your emotions. Let God into that space. The places of depression, the places of anger, the places of wanting things. He wants into those spaces. I wanted to make a one point here on divorce. Because Jesus says this, and I feel like this is super important for this passage. Jesus says this, I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife except on the grounds of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. I feel like this whole, I want to speak about divorce a little bit because I feel like this is such a painful, massive space. Um, I got a book called Divorce and Remarriage in the Church by a guy named David Brewer. If you're ever curious about what God talks about divorce, I encourage you to get that book, Divorce and Remarriage in the Church, David Brewer. Um, I just want to say a few different things. This whole passage comes from Deuteronomy 24. And there, Moses gives a law on divorce saying that it was permitted if a covenant was broken because of adultery for a divorce certificate to be given for the protection of the woman so the guy can't abuse the woman. Some of the rabbis in the day were saying this. Moses said, if you want to give a divorce, then you have to give them a certificate of divorce to free them so that would protect the woman so that her stuff couldn't be taken by her first husband anymore. Some people were interpreting that as, oh, Moses said, if I want to divorce my wife, I just need to give him a certificate and send her on her way. And Jesus is saying, no, you don't get to divorce your wife just for any reason. He's saying this, the covenant has to be broken. And the Bible gives a few different passages. So if you're, if you're curious about this, Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4, Exodus 21, Matthew 5, 31 and 32, Matthew 19, verse 7, and 1 Corinthians 7. There's three reasons in the Bible where divorce is considered okay. And that's these three reasons. One, adultery, abandonment, and abuse. Adultery, abandonment, and abuse. Now, if you get a divorce... Is your life over? Did you mess it up? Is it maybe you didn't get a divorce for one of those reasons or whatever? This is where I love the verse in Jeremiah 29, where it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. I love the fact that God doesn't just have a plan for me, He has plans for me. So, regardless of where your relationships have been and what happened, God wants you to know that He still has a plan for you. He still has a design for you. And He never, ever is going to let go of wanting you to have the best thing that He has for you in His life. He can work with anything that's gone through. So, I just wanted, I wanted to encourage you that just if you've walked through a divorce in this room, there is total forgiveness and hope for your future and your past. And abandonment, abuse, 
and adultery is the biblical grounds for that. So I, I just wanted to share that. The other thing I wanted to share is that God is a divorcee too. It says this in Jeremiah 3. Israel was not faithful to him. And he says this to Israel. Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will not look on you in anger, for I am merciful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever with you. Only acknowledge your guilt that you, might, that you rebelled against the Lord your God and scattered your favors among the foreigners under every green tree and that you have not obeyed my voice, declares the Lord. Book of Hosea even talks about God's like, I'm giving you a certificate of divorce. We are not together anymore. But the thing is with the heart of God, and this is the heart of the gospel in the place of divorce. The heart of God is always for restoration, forgiveness, that things would be made right. So it is on the burden of the believer to carry the heart of God. That doesn't mean everything gets restored because it takes two people to restore something. But it does mean that in that heart posture, we want to come to a place of wishing them God's best. And guess what it says here too? God said of faithless Israel, only acknowledge your guilt that you rebelled against me. Only acknowledge that you did the wrong thing. Only acknowledge that this wasn't right. And we have a beginning place. It takes two repentant hearts for a divorce to be restored. Anyway, is that helpful? Hopefully that's helpful. I just want to say again, I'm so thankful that God has plans for me, not just a plan. And every detour, God looks at us and says, I can work with that. And not only can I work with that, but I have something beautiful and perfect for your life in this process. Matthew chapter 5. If you got a Bible, would you open that up one more time? I really encourage you to get a paper Bible, not just a computer Bible. And I like to take notes in my Bible of different things. Blessed are. This is how we bless God. This is how we preserve culture, illuminate, bring flavor to the world. Jesus came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. In other words, through him, my attitudes, my heart is transformed. John 15, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you'll bear much fruit. What's the fruit? Matthew 5. You have heard it said, if you check the box, if you do the right thing, you're okay. No. But if you have a right heart, God is after a heart that is completely his. That's Matthew 5. I'm convinced that when we have a heart that is fully after the Lord, when in this space, God wants to do something. And I, I just want to invite you on a journey with me for the, next, for the rest of the summer. Matthew 5. Matthew 6, Matthew 7, John 10, John 14, John 15, 16, and 17. Read those passages this summer. I think God wants to have personal conversation with each one of us. I think he, we, he wants to have us come into a, a, a living relationship and a living conversation with him this summer. It's a place of just one-on-one -on -one connection with him this summer that he really wants to do. And with that... We're going to end this service by jumping into that psalm one last time. Um, Lord of all the earth.
And if you could just pop those words up. Nick, could you turn the air on? And if you could just stand on up. We're just going to fix our eyes on Jesus one more time. This is how we're going to end it. Sviet is going to come and give the benediction in a sec. It's just a, let's just fix our eyes on Jesus right now. Can we just do that across this place? And Lord of all the earth, we shout your name, shout your name, filling up the sky with endless praise, endless praise. Yahweh, Yahweh, we love to shout your name, oh Lord. And Lord of all the earth, we Shout your praise, shout your praise, filling up the sky with endless praise, endless praise. Yahweh, Yahweh, we love to shout your name, oh Lord. At your name, at your name, the mountains shake and crumble. At your name, the oceans roar and tumble. At your name, the angels will bow. The earth will rejoice. Your people cry out. And Lord of all the earth, we Shout your name, shout your name, filling up the sky with endless praise, endless praise. Yahweh, Yahweh, we love to shout your name, oh Lord. One more time. And Lord of all the earth, we Shout your name, shout your name, filling up the sky with endless praise, endless praise. Yahweh, Yahweh, we love to shout your name, oh Lord. Let me just put a hand on our heart this morning. I just want to invite you to have your heart open before the word of the Lord today. We don't just read the Bible, but we let it read us. So when it comes to this passage this morning, what conversation does the Lord want to have with you today? What does he want to do? And we just simply say to you, God, speak to us, God. Your servants are listening. Transform our hearts. We know that it's only in you that we can ever walk closely to you. So Jesus, help. We pray this all in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. Sviete, why don't you come? She's going to lead us in our benediction. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Have a great Sunday.